Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Tonight on Huckabee, Virginia Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears. Babylon B Managing Editor Joel Berry. The contagious comedy of John Brandon. Country singer-songwriter Tia Goins. Stray Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Gobley. And now, here's Mike works and uh, Trey actually stops the music at that particular cue. Hey, what a great audience we've got here in our theater uh, in Nashville. We're so excited to have them and excited to have you. I don't know if you've uh, kept up with this stuff going on this week, but the big election in the Commonwealth of Virginia spelled both bad news and good news for Terry McAuliffe. Now, see, the bad news is that he blew a big lead in his race to return to a second term as governor, and he lost in a state that went for Joe Biden just a year ago by some 10 points. But the big news is that despite a stinging defeat by political newcomer Glenn Youngkin, McAuliffe got some good news. No, he's not going to get to be back on the political stage as a Democrat superstar, but he has been offered a slot on Dancing with the Stars after demonstrating his ability to bust a move that was about as awkward as his campaign. Watch this. Oh, man. You know, I'm thinking I could dance that well. Anyway, it was especially true when he told Virginia parents that basically... It was none of their business what teachers taught and that parents ought to just butt out and let government schools pump divisive, race-baiting hate for America and then throw in the utterly unscientific nonsense of there being multiple genders that one could be just by declaring it so. Well, the Democrat leadership and the mainstream media, but I repeat myself, they didn't see this coming. Of course they didn't. They live in a small but a highly protected little bubble where they congratulate each other for being so much smarter than the rest of us. You know, they don't worry about crime. 
because they're surrounded by armed guards and live behind gates. They don't pump their own gas, and it really doesn't matter what it costs. They really don't care since they're not paying for it anyway. They're unaware that the Thanksgiving turkey that cost $12 last year is going to cost $21 this year. And it's lost on them that while they're being squired around in government vehicles, the rest of America is paying big increases, not just in the cost of the car, but fuel, insurance, parts, and taxes to license them. And it wasn't just Virginia. In New Jersey, incumbent Governor Phil Murphy was expected to win in a landslide. But his underfunded Republican opponent, whose name no one could even pronounce, came within a fraction of a percentage point to take him out. In another race in New Jersey, a truck driver who spent a whopping $153 on his campaign. Beautiful. He ousted the state Senate president who probably didn't see that truck that ran over him and left tire tracks on his political career. Now, of course, the crazies on leftist TV went berserk. And they cried that it was all about racism and sexism. Of course, they were so out of touch that they failed to notice that the Republican who won the lieutenant governor's seat in Virginia was a black female immigrant who owns guns and served in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I don't think they even understood that the GOP candidate in Virginia who was elected attorney general was Hispanic. By the way, Joyless Reed of what I call BSNBC, she just had an on-air meltdown. Watch. Well, Trump-approved Republican Glenn Youngkin's closing message to Virginia voters has almost singularly, singularly fo focused on weaponizing race, stoking hysteria over the coded boogeyman of critical race theory, which is not currently taught in any Virginia public school. Where did she come up with this? Youngkin never discussed it. He didn't. He talked about proper education. He talked about parents having more control of their kids' schools. That's why he got elected. He actually made sense, something the people on the far left obviously don't do. And we must certainly still have to hear from celebrities who entertain not just with their singing, but with their uninformed whining. For example, do you care what Cher thinks? Well, she thinks you do, and in a mind-numbing, clueless rant on Twitter, she called Republicans a bunch of Nazis and then said, it's a whites-only club in the Republican Party. Ignoring that the lieutenant governor and attorney general of Virginia were black and Hispanic, I think she just needs to stick with talking about her own party. You know, her party. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. Yeah. Fortunately for President Biden, he was out of the country when his party was reenacting the sinking of the Titanic. <laughs> In fact, he attended a climate conference to demand that Americans quit using fossil fuels. While the biggest polluters in the whole world, China and India, just yelled, let's go Brandon at him. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Joe traveled to Europe with 800 people in private or government jets and had a motorcade of 85 SUVs. I mean, the only thing that was putting out more gaseous fumes than his travel was when he made speeches of pure gibberish. 
Now, will the Democrats learn from their disaster this week? Nope. Because they think that we like what they're doing to us, and they want to give us some more of it. In 2022, they're going to find out we don't like what they're doing to us. But we do like what we're doing to them, and we'll give them some more and send more of them packing boxes and bags. My first guest tonight has an amazing story to tell. She's an immigrant, a mom, a wife, a businesswoman, and a Marine veteran. This week, she made history. The first woman of color to be elected lieutenant governor in the state of Virginia. Here's my conversation with Winsome Sears. Winsome, delighted to have you. Congratulations. And uh, I think you shocked a lot of people, not just in Virginia, but across the country. Well, I... I suppose I did. I wasn't expecting to shock anyone. I just wanted to serve. And I looked around and saw that, you know, as lieutenant governor, I could have an opportunity to get more education, better education for the children. And that's why I ran. I found that it was interesting that a lot of the people in the media couldn't really celebrate your election. They seemed to miss out on it. And one of them was what I call Joyless Reed, who uh, immediately said that the elections in Virginia were all about racism. Now, Winsom, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, you don't look like a white supremacist to me. Here's the thing. Uh, they don't want anyone who doesn't believe the same way that they do, who thinks the same way that they do, to have any consequence whatsoever because, you see, they want to control us. But they don't get that opportunity and we're not going to give them that opportunity. And what they're signaling remember, is that if there are other black people or other minorities who want to think differently, then they're going to try to destroy me to make an example of me. But I think what they're going to find is that the people are done with that. We are adults and we're not going to be uh, pushed around anymore. We're not going to be fearful. I remember the very first time I ran 20 years ago, I had grandmothers walking by me and, you know, the matriarch in the black community, very revered. And yet these grandmothers were afraid to let people know that they were going to vote for me. They would brush by me and say, and that should never happen. This is America. Yeah. You were the vice president of the Virginia State Board of Education. So uh, you're probably better able than most to kind of look and see how much of a role did education and Terry McAuliffe's totally awkward and ridiculous comment that parents ought to just leave education to the teachers and not butt in as parents. How much did that impact the overall election? I think what, what happened was our governor-elect, Glenn Youngkin, when he was debating uh, Terry McAuliffe, uh, Glenn got under his craw, and you finally saw what was in him, in, in Terry McAuliffe's spirit. You saw it rise up. And he just blurted out exactly what was in his heart. And it's that you parents don't get to have a say in your child's education. And enough independents and enough uh, Democrats decided, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Hold your horses there. We, the parents, we make that decision. The children belong to us, not to the government. That's a different country you're talking about. And so you see, he realized that that was his deplorables moment, and the people decided time for a change. 
there has been just big denial that critical race theory is not being taught in Virginia schools, but there's a lot of evidence that it may not be called that, but that same idea of dividing people along racial lines and saying America's a terrible country, that that has been taught. What's the true story there? Well, the true story is that in 2015, when Terry McAuliffe was governor, the Virginia State Board of Education did have critical race theory as uh, a, a means. And in fact, there was a book that was on its website that said, this is what you're going to teach. And it was suggested reading as well. And so Terry McAuliffe, this is what, you know, the other side will do, the progressives, the liberals, they, they use inflammatory words, picture words that make people j just begin to fear. And so what did he say? It was a dog whistle that Glenn Youngkin is, is putting forward to say that there is no critical race theory. And we know that it existed. And as I said, they're gaslighting us. They, they show us one thing and then they say, but look over here, look over here. And it didn't work. It didn't work because we're not fools. We, we see it. And, and more than that, the children aren't learning. When you look at the NAEP scores, the National Assessment of Educational Proficiency scores, it tests children throughout the nation at the fourth, the eighth, and the 12th grade level. And what we find, it tests them in five different subjects. I concern myself with two. And when, it, when I look at the math scores, it says when it comes to Virginia, the most recent scores, it says 35% of Asian children can't do math by the eighth grade. By the way, it's 45% of white children, 70% of Latino children. And governor, this number brought my, my tears to my eyes. 84% of black children in Virginia cannot do math by the time they are in the eighth grade. Mm. And by the way, 85% of them are functionally irrelevant. They could never read the instructions on this water bottle that's beside me. And you have a problem with me being a black Republican? No, our children aren't learning. Something is wrong. Something's got to give. We have to have choice in education. The parents want that. We are going to get that for them this time. Winsome Sears, I have uh, every reason to believe we're going to see a lot of you, and I sure hope so. You have one of the uh, most effective, powerful messages that I have seen. I just want to tell you how grateful I am that you had the guts to get out there and run, because a lot of people run from public office. You ran for it, you got elected, and the whole country is better off for it. Well, I'm very grateful to Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears for taking the time to talk with us, and I'm thrilled for her as well as for the people of Virginia for this win. You can learn more about the Lieutenant Governor-elect on the brand new website, Huckabee.tv, that'll take you to all the information that you want about Winsome Sears as well as about the show. Now, if you want to keep on winning, just listen to what Keith Bilbrey has for us on the show tonight. Well, up next, Huck's hero Johnny Agar, and later the Babylon Bee's Joel Berry. Stay with Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back, everybody. Now, for most
most of us, walking a mile might not be that much of a challenge. But what if you were born with cerebral palsy and you were told you would never walk at all? Then walking a mile could make you this week's Huck's Hero. Please welcome tonight's Huck's hero, Johnny Agar, with his parents, Becky and Jeff. We're so glad to have you guys here. Thank you, Governor. Thank you, Johnny. I am kind of amazed at what you accomplished because people didn't think you'd ever walk, and you did a mile, which is a big deal. A big deal. I was very blessed that my parents uh, never took it easy on me and... and (laughs) As I got older, I wanted to be an athlete like my dad did, and so um, dad started doing races with me. I think you have succeeded. You are an athlete, Johnny, (laughs) and uh, it's pretty cool that you've accomplished. You know, what blows me away is the people who have celebrated you. You got a phone call from no less than, like, the, one of the greatest Olympic champions of all time, Michael Phelps, called you to congratulate you and inspire you. In fact, he wrote a little thing in your book called The Impossible Mile. Was that pretty cool, getting a call from Michael it Phelps? It really was because, uh, you know, I really, you know, I really like up to him because not, not because of all the gold medals, but because of all the effort that he puts into things. Yeah. And so I really wanted to tell, take the opportunity to, Tell him how much he he influenced me in my life, and so uh, you know that was a tremendous thing to have that encouragement from him. We actually finished the race right after that, and it was uh, we finished it with five minutes to spare. But it, I think it was his phone call that gave us the encouragement that we needed, and and uh, so it, it's. It's wonderful to have him be a part of the book, too. I might have even been able to finish the race, too, if Michael Phelps had called me. (laughs) Becky, you and Jeff are uh, obviously a big part of uh, encouraging Johnny and telling him not just to give up. And that's what the book is about, Becky, that you wrote with Johnny called The Impossible Mile. Talk to us about what you wish other people knew about cerebral palsy. Well, I think the biggest thing is when people see somebody in a wheelchair, they get kind of nervous and they don't know if, you know, if mentally that they're all there. Yeah. And and so it's really important for us to to let people know that, you know, 
when you see somebody in a wheelchair, you know, you just need to say hi and start a conversation with them. And, and I think um, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have Johnny, you know, have this book out there to help encourage others and to help people with not only, you know, when, when Johnny walked um, the first time, the, his first mile, Johnny said to me after the race, he said, you know, Mom, wouldn't it be really cool if we were able to encourage one person mm. in a wheelchair with a disability? And it ended up, we did, but we were able to touch so many other people with other challenges that didn't have anything to do with disabilities necessarily. But it was a beautiful thing for us as parents to be able to see our son encourage people um, like that. It was and and Jeff, you're athletic and you participated and trained with him and helped him through an Ironman, for heaven's sakes. That had to have been a challenge for both of you. Well, it was. I was never an endurance athlete. I noticed you've done a few marathons in your life, and uh, it's a lot of work to do. But tw 12 years ago, I didn't even know how many miles were in a 5K. I had to look <laughs> it up. And, uh, but Johnny wanted to do some of these races. Yeah. I started doing them. And you just get more and more. And I mean, you see that I'm a prime example of the motivation that Johnny's provided somebody who was not an endurance athlete or wasn't interested at all in doing it. And I was able to overcome challenges to get there. So uh, he's really very motivational, as you can tell. Well, what you have done for all of us is give us an example of a typical family that just takes whatever life has uh, given you and make the most of it. That's really what all of us ought to do, whether or not we have a family member in a wheelchair or not. Johnny, you have inspired us. And you know what? We decided that in addition to uh, naming you our Huck's hero, I think we ought to also name your parents, Jeff and Becky, as Huck's hero, because it's all three of you that make this work. What an honor, what an honor. Well, we love you guys. I hope if you want to be encouraged and if you want to just be reminded that life is not always fun, but there's many ways to approach it, read Johnny Agar's story in this inspiring book. I think it will bless you. It's called The Impossible Mile, but he proved it was possible. Now, if you want more information on Johnny and the book, just go to our website, Huckabee.tv. All of the details will be right there. Keith Bilbrey, I don't think he can do a marathon, but I tell you what he can do. He can tell us what's up next. That's what he's going to do right now. Well, next, stand-up comedy with John Brennan, later David Friedman, and the Abraham Accords, all on Huckabee. Welcome back, everybody. You know, one of the great thrills I have is being able to be right here on the stage and hear some of the greatest music that Nashville has to offer. And it comes all by way of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Would you give them a hand? Tonight's comedian has been entertaining audiences with hilarious, clean comedy for over 25 years. His dry bar comedy special is called Demeaning of Life. Get that? And his Shakespeare-style telling of the three little pigs, a triune tale of diminutive swine, is in its third printing. I want you to welcome a very funny guy, John Branion.
expect the music to stop so quick. Uh, hey, thanks. This is great. Thanks to Mike for bringing comedy out. I, I, we live in a culture where nobody has a sense of humor anymore. Have you noticed that? That everybody is so serious, everybody is so tolerant that we just hate each other's guts. And I think the Christian people should do something about that. I think Christian people should set the bar for the rest of the world and show them how to laugh. You agree with me on that? That we should do it, right? Because we got the most stuff to laugh about. Christian people got the most stuff to laugh about. You get to spend forever in heaven with God. I mean, <laughs> all this is a joke in the scope of eternity. Your lot in life, if you're a doctor down here on earth, there's no sickness, there's no disease in heaven. <laughs> we don't need you. If you're a lawyer down here, you probably won't get to heaven. So, <laughs> lighten up, lighten up. That's what I'm saying. We gotta, there, I get asked this question uh, only in church. I go do comedy in church, and it's just the church people that will say, do you think God has a sense of humor? Hmm? I'm like, well, I think he made church people. Heaven, yes, God has a sense of humor. We didn't think up laughter. That wasn't our idea. That was given to us by a higher power that knew we were going to need it to get through life. He knew we were going to have hardship. He knew we were going to have struggles. He knew we were going to get married. He knew stuff was going to happen. And so laughter is a gift. It's a gift. We've got to set. It's okay to laugh at other people, but you first got to laugh at yourself. You got to notice this goofy stuff in yourself. Christian people, it's everywhere. You know, we church people, we say stuff all the time. We say stuff like, we're just here to introduce people to Jesus. We just want to introduce people to Jesus. And Jesus already knows everybody, doesn't he? <laughs> I know how many hairs you have on your head, but I am not good with names. I heard a preacher say, God is moving here. God is moving here. I thought, wow, this must be a nice neighborhood. <laughs> he lives in heaven. He's moving here. Your property value is going to skyrocket, my friend. Can you imagine having God as a neighbor? That would be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> I feel like he's always watching us. Put up a privacy fence. It's doing nothing. Uh, Got to notice it first in yourself. Notice your own stupidity. Some of you who live indoors will relate to this. You know how when you hear a sound in the middle of the night coming from somewhere in your house, if you're not sure the source of that sound, it kind of freaks you out? Recently, it was like two o'clock in the morning, and I heard this whistling coming from somewhere inside the house. So I nudged my wife to ask her to go look for it. But she wouldn't go because she was asleep, and she's pretty selfish when she's unconscious. So I had to go by myself. And so I'm trying to find it just using auditory signals. And when I got close, it sounded like it was moving. So I'm chasing it around in the dark for like 10 minutes. And then I finally realize it's this nostril. Now, I didn't have to tell my wife that story, but I did. So she could put it on Facebook. That's how you put stupid to good use. Stupidity kept to yourself, the stupidity wasted. So many stupid things. I, uh, I buy stuff from infomercials. 
I don't even care. I'm off the rails. Um, I do. I bought our last vacuum cleaner from an infomercial, and it's the world's most powerful vacuum cleaner. That's what they said on the infomercial. Those people have no reason to lie. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, that's when all of your quality vacuum programming is on. You can't catch it at prime time. You gotta stay up late, commit yourself, like me. And this guy's running the vacuum cleaner all over the studio talking about it. This is the world's most powerful vacuum. Look at the job it's doing picking up these quarters. They had a stack of quarters on the floor and they're just ching, 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 just sucking them up. And I'm at home going, yes. We've got so much money laying around on the carpet. We have nothing to get cash out of the shag. They picked up a bowling ball with the vacuum cleaner. I've been using those three holes in the top of mine. An animal. And have you noticed that no matter how powerful your vacuum cleaner is when you're using it, there's always one little piece of white fuzz on the carpet, and you're like been a bowling ball, I'd have got it. Uh, all right, I was kicking around online recently on the internet, and I found a town in Arkansas. The name of the town is spelled F-L-I-P-P-I-N. I would move there, because everything is funny at that point. Hey, I'm John, and I'm from Flippin' Arkansas. <laughs> Family and I are at the Flippin' Church of Christ every Sunday morning. <laughs> Graduated from Flippin' High School, there's my Flippin' Diploma. Go birds. <laughs> All right, I'm done. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thank you. That is great. John, I know where Flippin' is. I've been there many times. That was an homage to you. Some great, great fishing up near Flippin', Arkansas. Ranger bass boats. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, what a thrill to have you here. Thank and you. Didn't you love John Brannion? So for all things John Brannion, go to the brand new Huckabee.tv website because that's where we're going to put all the information to get to know him even better and find out how to book him in your community, our church, which I think after tonight you're going to want to do. Now, somebody that we might even book for next week is Keith Bilbrey. But right now, we're just going to ask him to tell us what we have coming up on the show. Coming up, U.S. and Israel relations expert David Friedman. And still to come, country singer-songwriter Tia Goins. Stay with Huckabee. Welcome back to the show. As U.S. Ambassador to Israel under President Donald Trump, David Friedman was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for his role in crafting historic peace agreements between Israel and various Arab nations. That amazing story is told in a brand new documentary series called The Abraham Accords, and it's going to be airing right here on TBN. 
We're here this afternoon to change the course of history. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Ultimately, it comes down to one word. It comes down to trust. I did not see that coming. We got used to so many things that are not going through. We were a pretty great team. We were a good team, that's for sure. <laughs> this bright day is for a bright future. It is an honor to welcome the host of the series, the Abraham Accords, Ambassador David Friedman. Mr. Ambassador, first of all, what an amazing story, and you get to tell it, and I can't think of anybody better because you were a true architect of this uh, stunning historic accord. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, an extraordinary uh, experience, an uplifting experience to retell this story and to, and to tell it the right way, you know, through the voices of the players, the participants, the ones who courageously led their countries to this uh, unprecedented series of peace agreements. So uh, it's a great honor, and, uh, and I really hope that uh, people enjoy it. Uh, the story itself is what's very powerful. Um, there were cynics that said, there's nothing gonna happen in the Middle East. Donald Trump will never get these people to the table. He'll never be able to bring them together. Yet it happened. Um, Give us an insight. What was the, the key moment at which you felt this is actually going to take place? We're going to get an agreement that is genuinely historic. You know, I actually think uh, my optimism began very early on when President Trump, uh, his first trip abroad, he uh, goes to Riyadh. He meets with 52 Muslim nations and he, and he challenges them in, in, in a way that no president had in the past. He said, you know, uh, radical Islamic terrorism is the battle of our generation. And I don't wanna have to fight this fight when it comes across the Atlantic. I wanna fight it right here and I want you to help me. We can be a good ally to you as well if you'll join with us in good faith, if you'll give up these ancient narratives, narratives of hatred, give up these uh, narratives of violence, you'll end this crazy idea about destroying Israel. Israel is the solution in the Middle East. It's not the problem. Come embrace the solution. And, and we were getting traction already in 2017 in 2018. You saw, uh, Governor, when we uh, moved the embassy in uh, 2018, you were there. I was there. You know, everybody anticipated this wave of violence. Well, there wasn't any. Why? Yeah. Because we had already spent over a year tilling the soil, you know, developing these relationships. And, you know, you saw it on the trailer. But it did come down to trust. You know, the, the, the players in the region felt that they could trust us, felt that we would deliver on our promises that we could be counted upon. And, and, and it's not that much more complicated. Will these accords hold? Because the Biden administration seems to want to undo everything that the Trump administration did, including the good things. This was a great thing. Will they leave this alone and build upon it? The, the challenge is this. Every one of the Abraham Accords began with a bilateral agreement between Israel and an Arab country. But at the, at the point of the triangle, okay, right behind the two uh, uh, players was the United States a strong, engaged United States that could be counted on to play a meaningful role in the region, that could be counted on to keep its promises. And now you compare that to the scenes of America abandoning its allies, its friends, its American citizens uh, on the tarmac in, uh, in Kabul. And, and you, look at, you look at that picture and, and people are saying, can we still trust America? Mm -hmm. This is not the America that made the Abraham Accords. The America that made the Abraham Accords, you know, doesn't cut and run from an ally. And, um, and, and that's an issue. 
So uh, how that all plays out, I don't know. I don't think it will jeopardize the existing Abraham Accords, but without a strong United States, you know, standing on principle, standing on values, standing strongly in this region, I don't know how we can continue to grow them. Well, I hope uh, this administration doesn't undo something that has been remarkable. Ambassador David Friedman, thank you very much. Let me remind our viewers that part one of the must-see series, The Abraham Accords, has been released here on TBN. You can also stream it through the TBN website or on the mobile app to get all the details at the brand new Huckabee.tv. That's where you can get more information. Keith Bilbrey, why don't you uh, tell us how we're going to finish this great show tonight? Well, next, the Babylon Bee's Joel Berry and country music singer Tia Goins. More Huckabee is on the way. tonight's guest enjoy exclusive content plus full Huckabee episodes check out the all-new Huckabee.tv well my next guest helps run the funniest fake news site on the entire internet no it's not CNN.com by the way <laughs> I'm talking about the Babylon Bee it is a satirical take don't you love it? Obviously, our audience does, and I do. Uh, it's just the funniest take on all the news in a world that's gone crazy. I want you to welcome to the show the managing editor for the Babylon Bee, Joel Berry. Joel, welcome. Now, you got to feel good that everybody here seems to know what the Babylon Bee is all about. I, I guess so. I, I thought we were just writing this stuff and throwing it out. I didn't know anybody actually read it. I read it every day. Really I never miss it. I think it is the funniest stuff. I've retweeted, I don't know how many different uh, of the little captions that you guys put on, because it's funnier than anything I could ever come up with. Joel, one of the things that, that I think is just amazing you guys have been fact-checked by, like, the Washington Post. <laughs> Do they not know it's satire? Oh, it's wonderful. We love it so much. <laughs> it, they, they almost provide a second punchline to our jokes. because <laughs> we, we put the joke out there, people laugh, and then the Washington Post, you know, for example, when water was discovered on the moon, we, we ran this headline that, Trump was going to propose a, a, a Navy, a space Navy, to go on the moon. <laughs> and um, USA Today or, or Newsweek, one of those fact-checked it. And it's just, it makes it so much funnier. And, and so, so we love that part of it. But at the same time, um, what we suspect is these fact-checks, they get fed back to big tech, and they use that to squash us in the algorithm. So there is a purpose behind it. You know, we thought it might be fun tonight if, uh, and by the way, let me mention this. You've got a book called The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. It is hilarious. This is classic. And if you like the bee, you're going to love the book. But we wanted to do a little fun tonight and play the game of the bee or not the bee. The bee or not the bee. So here's what we're going to do. Joel, uh, I'm going to read some headlines, and uh, we're going to ask Trey and Keith to tell us whether this is actually the B or not the B. Is it true or is it not true? This is kind of what you guys do all the time. So are we ready to play? Let's do it. Okay. Here's the first one. Bill Gates went shopping for sustainable farmland using two massive gas-guzzling super yachts. All right, Keith, 
Trey, the bee or not the bee? I think that's real. You real. think it's real? Not to be. And what yeah. do you say? Yeah, I say real, not to be. You say not to be. Okay. You're both right because hey. it is not hey. the bee. All right, Joel, I'm going to have you read this next one down there on that card, and uh, you got the hang of it by now. Okay. AOC calls for doubling the size of the court by adding three judges. <laughs> the B or not the B? I what do you think, Keith? The B, satire. You think the B, all right? Can I go midways because, I mean, you know, this could be possible. <laughs> I'm Make gonna a say, choice. I'm going to say it's a joke. Yeah, I'm going to say it's satire. Yeah. You're going to say it's satire. Joel? Satire. You got it. Hey! It's satire. How did he not... Did they pass civics? If you are going to double the court and you add three people on a nine-member court, I don't think he passed math. I think that's the first problem. All right, let's do another one. I'm going to let you do it. Pick one of these two, and let's see. Can these guys figure out the be or not to be? Okay. Flash flood warnings issued as liberal tears continue to soak the nation. <laughs> the B or not the B? All right, Trey. I think that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Keith. Oh, I think that's true. It's the B. It's but the, it's true. But oh, that true. is true. true. It, it is satire, true. but yet in this case, it probably is true. Do you ever find that some of the stuff you guys do, you do it knowing it's outrageously funny, and then a few days later, it actually becomes reality. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. And, and that's kind of what makes satire work. It has to be somewhat close to the truth. We're really just exaggerating the truth a little bit. And the way things have gotten, as absurd as things have become, um, it's usually inevitable that it's going to come true in a week or two. A lot of our, our, our headlines do come true. Well, I, I hope they keep coming true because it gives us a lot to laugh about. I, I hope our Folks, will get this book, The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. It is just hilarious. got a lot of illustrations. Uh, if you love The Babylon Bee, and obviously our audience here does, I do, I even contributed money to you guys when you were getting sued. I said, you know, I want to stand up with these guys, and I really appreciate what you do because we need it. Get your copy of The Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness, and you can also learn more about Joel Berry and The Babylon Bee at our website, go to Huckabee.tv, and there's a connection right there to the Babylon Bee and Joel, and I hope you will get it. Right now, Keith is going to tell us how we can finish this wonderful show tonight. Well, coming up, country music star Tia Goins is on Huckabee, and yeah, it's true. traditional country music singer that frequently appears at the Grand Ole Opry. Now, like many of us, the 2020 pandemic forced Tia down to her core values and beliefs. In the silence of the isolation that she was in, Tia sensed a call to write her life lessons into songs, which she recorded for her latest album. It's wonderful. It's called All Over the Map. Please make welcome Tia Goins. So this was kind of a project born out of 
the horror of the pandemic and being forced to go off the road and sit at home all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I think uh, everybody can kind of relate that 2020, when everything, you know, everything was gone. Yeah. And it really, it made everyone kind of reassess where you're, what am I doing here? What's going on? You know, and in the quiet um, and downtime that we had, I really felt like I heard from God and he said, it's time to write. And when I first moved to town, I had kind of tried songwriting and it never, it just didn't feel like my thing. And um, through a series of really crazy events that kind of happened, I met Jim Moose Brown, who is a Grammy-winning songwriter, a fantastic musician. Uh, from Arkansas, From Arkansas, if you can imagine Let's that. just throw that in there. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, he's part of the Silver Bullet Band. Anyway, we, we ended up getting together, and the first day that we met, we wrote a song. And every time that we got together, we wrote a song. And I had no intention of an album or anything else. I was just following a call. And... Uh, this happened. One of the cool things, uh, one of the songs on it called That's What I Know, mm -hmm. just happens to feature a guy that, that, that maybe make, will make it someday. Hopefully. Vince Gill yeah. was on the I song know. with you. Yeah, I know, right? How yeah. cool yeah, is yeah, that? Okay. How did you get him to do that? That song, um, it, it means so much to me when we wrote that song. And uh, we were in the studio, we had done kind of a demo on it. and. Moose said, do you, who, who, do you have anybody that you like to use for background vocals? Is there anyone yeah. specific? And I said, no, I've, I've used a lot of people. I don't know. He goes, what about Vince? <laughs> and I go, well, I mean, you could start at the bottom. Yeah, you know, just I mean, go ahead. What yeah. a, you know, but oh, okay, sure, whatever. And he's like, no, I'll call him. And he called him while we were there. And, and he's like, oh, I love her. Yeah, let's do it. And I was like, okay. So yeah, he, he came in and, and put his part on it. And what I love, that particular song, it's just about finding those comforts. And I feel like Vince's voice is such a comforting voice. So it, he really adds to that uh, when he comes in on his parts. He's such an amazing guy. I mean, he, he plays, he sings, he does it all. It's he disgusting. Does. I don't like I him at all. I know, I know. I don't like him. I know. Um, we're going to be back on the road. I guess you're, you're starting now. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it a little nervous to go back on the stage after you've been off for a year? No, I'm dying to okay. get back out there. I'm dying to. Um, it's, and especially with this music, because yeah. it's going to be kind of a different show than people are used to, because, again, I get to tell a story. And there's, there's so much that goes along with this. Um, my husband and I took a road trip across Route 66 mm. during the pandemic. Yeah. And um, that trip, I, we had, I'd never really been out west in that way. Yeah. And we ended up going through 13 states in 10 days and seeing so much countryside. But my life was sort of paralleling that journey mm. in the way that I didn't know what was around the next corner. I didn't know what was going to come around. You know, I didn't know what was coming up next. And so the title all over the map sort of just, it fit. And, and that's, that's what I'm really excited to, to share with people. Well, you said you were dying to get on the stage. You know what? We're not going to let you die, but we are going to get you Good. on the stage. I'm ready. We're going to do some music. Sounds Let's do great. it. Let's do it. All right. All Sounds right. great. Now, I want our audience to get a whole lot more of Tia's wonderful music. You will want to get this album. And guess who's going to tell you how to do it? Keith Bilbrey. He's got the news right now. You can get Tia Goins all over the map right now. Find everything you need to know about it at the brand new Huckabee.tv. Now, while you're there, you can also watch Tia's exclusive performance of The Beat of a Back Road. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley of the Music City Connection, with Mike joining in on bass, is Tia Goins.